Okay, go ahead and grab a seat, Overlake. It is wonderful to be with you and to praise the name of Jesus together today. I, I, I do want to start by showing you this is a wrist rocket, also known as a slingshot. And I brought an apple. I uh, thought maybe I'd do a little target practice to start. JR, you want to help me with this real quick? All right, here you go, bud. Just put that right on top of your head. The, I, uh, I, I did select you just because th there'd be no hair to distract. Um, you know, the thing about target practice is everyone around you has more to fear than you do, right? That's okay. You can have that. If you get hungry, just have a little snack. This was a gift given to my 10-year-old son. Uh, I know it was given with a gracious spirit. But any gift that turns every large object in the world into a target and every small object in the world into a bullet is not a good gift for the boys in my home. Uh, instantly, when, uh, when my son brought it in, the two boys began to play with it right away in the house. And so I had to lay down some rules. Guys, guys, no, no, listen. Uh, first off, you, you cannot play with it in the house. And they're like, why not? You know, bing, 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 bing. And like, okay, bud, listen, never in the house, right? And, and, and guys, look, you can't aim it at, at living creatures. You know, don't aim it at cars, but let's not, never at a human, right? Never, never, ever aim it, even in, even in pretend, like never aim it at a human. And then my son, Caleb, while I was telling him this, he grabs a ballpoint pen, and he puts it in the slingshot, and he pulls back and aims it at me. And, and he's got this little, little smirk on his face, because he's a total punk, and he knows it. He's got this little smirk on his face, like, oh, are you scared, Dad? You know, the whole time he's got the pen, and he's pulled it back, and I'm like, buddy, don't. Listen, I, it's, it's not fun. I'm serious. Like, this is a rule. We don't aim it at people. And then he, he lets it go, but he holds the pen in his hand, right? So he's just pretending to shoot it at me. But, but as he lets it go, this leather strap, it, it catches on the, the pin cap, and it shoots the pin cap right in my eye. <laughs> so I'm here to talk to you about the temptation to swear at your children. <laughs> we're talking about this, this concept is easy targets, and, and we're, we started last week, we talked about that there are, there are these things in our lives that they're targets that the enemy comes against. He, he wants to go after us. He wants to derail us and discourage us. And we talked about some of the ways in which he does that. And last week, we talked about the past wounds. That's one of the areas that he finds, things that are unhealed in our life. That's where he goes after. If you miss that, please go online and, and catch up. That's a really, it's powerful because how we deal with past wounds is healing. And there is healing possible. So please, take a little time this week, uh, follow up on that. We want to go after a scripture. And so it's on your notes. It'll be on the screen. This is in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And in your Bibles, if you haven't highlighted this, if you haven't sort of bracketed this in your, in your own Bible, this would be a, a great verse to memorize. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And there's a lot of great power and truth in that passage, the greatest of which is you're not alone. 
in fighting this battle. You're, you're not left alone. God has not abandoned you. He is faithful. He is with you. When we're coming under the gun, when we find ourselves easy targets, God is there to help show us a way out. He wants us to endure and, and to be victorious no matter what's coming against us. So a lot of great, great truth in that passage. But what I want to recognize is that first line, it talks about sort of in general humanity speaking, the temptations that we experience are really common. Now, your road and the easy targets in your life might be a little different than my road and the easy targets in my life. But in general, the enemy, he just comes after us in some common ways. Last week, we talked about past wounds. It's a really common way that the enemy comes after us. And today, what we're going to talk about is he, he, he comes after our hearts, okay? He wants to target our hearts. And, and the scripture says this in Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your heart above all else. And you might want to underline that last part. Guard your heart above all else. And, and as you process this a little bit, it may sound a little strange to you, a little weird, this idea of guarding your heart. But I want you to know that some of you are really, really good at guarding your lives. You've built safeguards in your life. Some of you are really good about guarding your message, the things that you say, the email trails that you leave. Some of you are really, really good about guarding your image the way that you look, the way that you appear in certain situations. There are many things that we're interested in guarding. What I want you to see is the scripture says, guard your heart. Because what goes on on the inside, that's really what matters. And And I want you to know that this is why legalism and the religious spirit are still around today, even though Jesus came to stamp it out. It's because that legalistic viewpoint, that, that viewpoint that I can, I can deal with my external behaviors and it'll all be okay, that's still around because it's easier. It's easier to, to sort of buy into a philosophy where all I have to do is pray this many times a day. All I have to do is wash like this or sacrifice this animal in this circumstance or all I have to do is, is make sure I make the right pilgrimage to the right city or all I have to do is make sure that I've memorized the right text. Are you following me? These external sort of perimeter kinds of things, we do these behaviors and we think we're okay. Meanwhile, we're leaving our heart unguarded. All kinds of things can happen inside of our hearts. See, Jesus says this, and he's quoting the prophet Isaiah in Mark 7, 6. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their their hearts are far from me. And so that's really what we're talking about. This is why guarding your heart is such a big deal, because the biggest, juiciest, pumpingest target, is that a word? I don't know. The, the, the target that the enemy's going to come after in your life, it's your heart. It's your heart. And the irony, right, the paradox is sometimes the people who build the most, the, the strictest, the, the, the external sort of, you know, behaviors in their life that are religious, sometimes the people that build the biggest fence out there, they're the ones that are leaving their hearts the most unguarded. Right? Maybe you've seen houses like this with, with um, you know, protected by ADT security on the front or whatever security deal, right? Uh, when we bought our house 11 years ago, there was one of those signs in the front flower bed. And so we moved in. And I just left it there for a while. 
I knew that we didn't pay any security system to do anything. In fact, there were no, none, no wires in our house at all. So whoever put that sign in my front flower bed, they stole it from somebody else's front yard. But I left it up for a while just to you know, kind of communicate, oh, no, this is protected. Meanwhile, it wasn't protected at all. Does that make sense? It's very protected now, but don't ask how. Uh, uh, it's, it's top secret, OK? I, I just want you to know that that, that is like, it's kind of like putting up the sign, you know, beware of dog. And really, all you've got is a chihuahua with a bullhorn, right? It, it, the idea that, that we put up these external things and we think that we're covered. Oh, we're guarded, right? But we're not because our heart's wide open. All kinds of things can happen in there. The enemy targets our hearts. And so it's important for us to understand. This is what it says in Isaiah 29. The Lord says, these people say they're mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me, look at this, is nothing more but man-made rules learned by rote. Man-made rules. In other words, he's not as impressed with the religious shows of holiness, with the memorize this and do this and sacrifice this and pray like this and wash like this. Does that make sense? He's, he's interested here. And of course, that's why the enemy is going to come and target our hearts. Let's look at the rest of that verse, Proverbs 4.23. Guard your hearts above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Another translation tells us to guard our heart because it, from it flow the wellspring of life, or the springs of life flow from your heart. And so I want you to kind of get your, the visual imagination going around this. There's this spring of life flowing from your heart. And as it flows from your heart, it's going to create a river. And you're going to river raft that thing. And where it goes, that's going to determine the course of your life. Okay? So it's flowing out of your heart. It's going to determine the course of your life. You're going to ride that thing. And so it's important to guard your heart. Now, what the enemy is going to do as he targets your heart is he's going to get you to guard your heart with all kinds of broken perspectives. So you might even want to write that down and wrestle with it a little bit. He's going to get you to put a suit of armor around your heart, but that suit of armor is not actually helpful. It's, it's actually going to determine where the river flows. And so your life is going to end up going where he wants it to go, not where God wants it to go, and not where you want it to go. And it's all because of this broken perspective that he's going to tempt you to wrap your heart in. I'll give you a few examples. If you guard your heart with self-pity, the life that flows is poor victim. If that's the way you're guarding your heart with self-pity, then you are going to become a victim. And friends, you know people like this. That they're just perpetually the victim. They're always on the outs. They are the, the ones that never get a break. And if they stay in that perspective long enough, then their eyes eventually become blinded to any blessing that God brings into their life. And they're always the victim. And we know from Scripture that God does not want us to be the victim. He has made us, in Christ, the victor. And so we know that that's not the right perspective. We know that God has something different for us, but that's what the enemy wants. So he's going to target your heart. He's going to target you to guard your heart with that self-pity. Have you ever, in, interested to note this, have you ever recognized that once you start 
down the road of self-pity, it's really easy to continue to ride that train. It's, it's river rapids. Suddenly, you're in the rapids, right? So it determines the course of your life, how you guard your heart. If you guard with self-pity, you're going to end up poor victim. Next example, if you guard your heart with worry, then the life that flows is fearful weakness. If you wrap your heart in anxiety, then everything in the world is scary. All is dark and frightening, and the soundtrack of your life is all flats and minors. Everything scary that happens, every headline, it simply serves to reinforce your fear. And again, does God want his people to be afraid? No. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, right, that comes from his spirit. Uh, Last week, we talked about if you guard your heart with your past unhealed wounds, then where your life goes is angry disappointment. Right? And we talked about that, how we go from 0 to 10 and just like that. And we don't even know why we've gone there. And it's because the enemy can just hit those past wounds. The, the course of our life is being directed by how we guard our hearts. Next example, if you guard your heart with comparison, the life that flows is insecurity or pride, which is just insecurity wearing a mask. And the big problem here is that the more we wrap our hearts with the perspective of comparison, the less we actually are sure of our own identity. Think about this for a moment. The more you reckon who you are by the people that you're comparing yourself to, the less sure you are of yourself at all, because you're only defining yourself based on somebody else. Oh, I'm better than him, but I'm not as good as him. I'm, I'm more successful than her, but not as successful as her. I'm more healthy than this person, but not as healthy as this person. And, and, and the more you compare, the less you cease to actually be yourself, because you only exist in definition of other people. And what could be more insecure than that? Meanwhile, Ephesians 2.10, God says that you are his original masterpiece, That means you are uniquely created by God himself. You're an artistic, one of a kind. God's made you a masterpiece, and we're so busy comparing ourselves, trying to be carbon copies of one another. See, you see what I mean? The the course of your life, it's determined by how you guard your heart. One more, if you guard your heart with perfectionism, the life that flows is pretense, pretense, right? And, and this is a real thing that, that some of us, we, we know this truth that, that nobody's perfect. We know it. None of us are. Anybody who, who claims to be perfect, we know that there's, there's deception and, and that's not true because none of us are perfect. And yet, for some of us, we have to keep up the pretense that we are. And so maybe this is you or maybe you know somebody at work The problem is always the other guy's problem. It's never yours. Because you are petrified of recognizing that, no, no, I actually dropped the ball on that one. No, no. The pretense is I'm perfect. No, it's their problem. They must have missed the email. They must have missed it. Some of you, that's how you deal with your spouse. It's never your problem. It's always the other person's. Man, that's an exhausting way to relate, isn't it? For some of you, in your, even in your friendship relationships, you are just so terrified to give an inch. 
Like, no, maybe it was your rudeness. Maybe it was your thoughtlessness, your oversight. Maybe, maybe it was your bad, but you can't say it. You can't admit it. There's just, it like steals your breath. It's so scary. Friends, that's pretense. And what it's going to do, it's going to lead you to this place of isolation. And that's really where the enemy wants you all along. He wants you isolated. That's not where God wants you. That's where the enemy wants you. He wants you just completely isolated as you have built your life around this broken perspective, right? And, and I do want you to understand how interesting this is. It's not, I don't even know how to say this. The idea is you think you're guarding your heart by protecting it. I'm going to protect my heart with this. I'm going to protect my heart with this. But really what you're doing is just one by one, you're putting a brick in a wall, just another brick in the wall, right? You're just building, Pink Floyd joke right there. The, the idea is you're just building this, and you think it's to protect yourself, but it's really going to imprison you in isolation. And the scripture says this in Proverbs 18.1, the man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Rages against all wise judgment. This idea of living in isolation, having guarded my heart with a broken perspective. We found this quote this week from Alex Hammoning. It says, there seems an inherent danger if guarding one's heart means gripping it securely against the world. With fear as a motivator, this behavior may make us stingy with our empathy and our love. And that's, again, examples of unhealthy guarding. We think we're guarding it when re in reality what we're doing is we're climbing into an underground bunker all by ourselves, nothing but dehydrated food. Okay. Now, there is a form of healthy guarding. This is kind of what I want us to go into now. There's a, f a form of healthy guarding, and it will have some of these aspects of protection, right, of care, but it will also have these aspects of honoring, that, that we would cherish our hearts, that, that, that we would provide the most healthy possible framework for our heart to exist in. And the analogy that I want to offer you, it's the way that I feel about my kids, my three kiddos. I love them like crazy. Without question, if you ask, Mike, what's the most valuable thing in the world to you? I would say the most valuable thing to me, my children. I love them. And, and I want greatness for them. And so as their dad, I do want to guard them, right? I want, but as I guard, I don't want to lock them away in a tower. That's not guarding. That, that's imprisoning. Does that make sense? So as a dad, what I want to do is I guard them, provide a really healthy context for them. They know they're protected and provided for. They know that their dad is for them, for their flourishing. And from that place, they are free to explore the world, to wade into relationships and friendships and, and, and to, to wrestle with what truth is and how God interacts with their life, always, though, with this landing place that I am here for them and that they can come and they can be themselves. And, and, and that's how I want to guard what is most precious to me in this world. But here's what I want you to understand. I have to guard my heart the same way. And so do you. You have to guard your heart because you only guard what's valuable to you. And for some of us, we think other things are valuable. Maybe it's possessions that are valuable, our career, our, our reputation, even our family, our kids, our relationship. Like There are many things that are valuable to all of us. But when's the last time you guarded your heart because it's so valuable? 
that your life flows from your heart and it, it you know, charts a course and, and the direction of your life will happen because of how well you guard your heart. And so I, I just want to up the ante a little bit because if we don't, it becomes an easy target for the enemy. And how we do this, what bullseye living looks like if we're going to guard our hearts well, it's simply the word authenticity. Authenticity. If you want a definition of authenticity, it's resting in who you are as a child of God. Resting is the operative verb. Resting in who you are as a child of God. That you know you're not perfect, you know there are, there are these flaws and weaknesses and places where you're prone to selfishness and stumble, and yet you know that the grace and love of God has washed over you, that positionally you are with him in relationship, God the Father, you are a son, you are a daughter of God Most High, and you rest in his love over you. And it has to be done in the context of other relationships, right? And, and this is so true with so much of our spirituality that, that we are called to be authentic in relationship with one another, right? How can, how can we love one another if we're not in relationship with one another? How can we pray for one another, serve one another, bear one another bur burdens? All of these are the commands of Scripture, all challenges for our spiritual growth in the context of relationship. And the way that we live our relationships is resting in who we are as a child of God. Let me drill down just a little bit more. Every single human on planet Earth is made in the image of God, created by God, the, the original thumbprints of God all over every single human being. This is why we value life, life sacred. Like, we recognize that. We, we honor the thumbprints of God in everybody, okay? But there's this thing that happens when we say yes to, to what Jesus offers us. He offers us his grace. He offers us his love. He offers us his forgiveness. He, he wants to take all the stuff that's shameful and guilt-inducing, the stuff that we wound one another with, and the stuff that we wound ourselves with. He wants to remove all of that from us, and he puts it on the cross, and it's gone forever. And when you say yes to that gift, you begin to live as a child of God. That's what it means. You begin to live in this relationship of love with God, where you are a son or a daughter of God, and you continue to grow in that relationship through the course of your life and then into eternity. That's what the picture looks like. And if you've never said yes to that gift that Jesus offers you, it's a, you can do it right now. It's as simple as saying just in your seat, in your own heart, in your own mind, just say, Jesus, that's what I want. I trust you today. I want to receive that gift that you came to bring me. I, I know I've messed up. I need your forgiveness. I, I'd love to step into your grace today. Please show me how to live as your child. And if you say something like that in your own words, but that's, that's a prayer offered from your heart and it's real, God takes that seriously. Okay? You're a child of God. And so we rest in our identity as children of God, sons of God, daughters of God. Now, here, here's what it looks like. Right now, I've got a couple kids, high school, junior high, elementary school. In all, as I'm doing processing with them, there's this thing called, you know, peer influence. And in peer influence, what happens is my kids, which, you know, they all wear halos every day, just so you know. That's a joke. Um, they're real kids, flesh and blood, and, and they have friends at school, whatever, at, at soccer, whatever it is. 
And the friends might be taking the conversation down a, a, a weird path. And it might be going down a, a path that, that slams other people. It might be going down a path that, that influences uh, or it's sort of referencing uh, racial issues or, or gender issues in, in negative ways. And my kids, just like your kids, they, they experience a pressure to say something that will fit in with that environment. And in that moment, if they choose to join in that environment, they're being inauthentic to who they are as children of God. But forget about my kids for a moment. Some of you are going, oh, thankful. Great, I'd love to. In your environments, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, you're on the PTA board, wherever it is that you're doing life, you need to understand that the same thing still happens. You need to understand that somebody says something, somebody wants to pressure you to compromise, somebody wants to cause you to make a joke or just laugh at a joke. And you're tempted because you want to fit in and be inauthentic to who you are. And when I'm talking about authenticity, I'm saying, no, in that moment, you rest in who you are as a child of God, right? Who you are. It might not be, you, you say, you know what? I might not be able to fit in with that peer group. I might not be able to look good in front of that boss who's saying that thing, who wants me to joke about that issue. But I'm going to be true to who I am. And that's authenticity. Can I get an amen for that? That's the challenge. That's what we're going after. And in order for us to aim at authenticity, there are a few helpful steps for us. If you're filling in the blanks, the first one is to be real, to be real, which requires boldness. Be real or be true to yourself. But it does require courage. It requires courage, courage to recognize that who you are, you're not perfect. And yet, it's okay to be courageous and real about that. I've always been very curious about this whole Christian culture thing because, and I think about it a lot. I think about Christian culture a lot. You don't because you have real lives and real jobs. This is what I'm paid to do. I think about it. So I'm thinking about this, the entry point for this whole Christian thing is that we have to stand up, you know, spiritually speaking, we say, I need grace. I've blown it. I've been selfish. I've been rude. I've gone my own way. I've, I've done these hurtful things to other people, to myself. I've rebelled against God. I need grace, right? That's the entry point. And it seems like the moment we're in, we suddenly shift to this whole other thing, which is, I'm fine. And we stop being real. And so the challenge is that we would be courageous enough to be real. Like the problems that we still, you know, that we had, that we sought Jesus for in the first, hey, we still might have some of those problems. So it's okay to be real about what that looks like as we're walking our faith and journeying with Jesus. And again, this can only happen in the context of relationships, correct? It can only happen in the context maybe of a life group or a spouse that you're absolutely real with. The question I want to ask you today, who in your life knows you, loves you, and is not impressed by you? <laughs> because that means you have a real person in your life. You have a real relationship. There's courage in that environment. And if you don't have that person, the challenge is you build that. Build that relationship. You find that person. You find that context. To be real, it will require boldness and courage. 
And then the next challenge is that in humility, we are vulnerable. We embrace vulnerability in our relationships. And at this point, if you're kind of looking at the whole outline, you might be thinking, Mike, this is really interesting that you started talking about guarding my heart, and the points that you're pushing me toward are authenticity and realness and openness and vulnerability. Like, this is irony at best, a paradox. Like, I don't know how this whole thing fits. And I just want to call it out. It is paradoxical. In fact, let me just drop a quote on you right now. To guard your heart, you have to open it, Pastor Mike Howerton. (laughs) I just dropped a little wisdom on you right there. Some of you think that I never offer you original truth. I never offer you original ideas. I I assure you, at least 2% of what you hear is original thought, Mike Howerton. And you know I'm actually totally lying. That quote was from Pastor Josh McQueen. He told me to do the whole bit. He said, here, take it, do it. Okay, I'll do it, but I have to call it out. I'm being authentic, guys. When I have an original idea, you will know. There'll be fireworks in this place. We have enough ceiling. We can can shoot them off in here. It'll be awesome. But I want you to understand, it is true that if you try to guard your heart by locking it away, you will end up doing the exact opposite. You have to open it up. You have to be authentic. You have to be real. You have to be vulnerable. That's the only way that you can keep your heart a heart of flesh, a heart that beats, a heart that actually feels what God wants you to feel. And you relate with one another as God wants you to relate with one another. It's all guarding your heart in a sense of allowing it to be open. I found a great quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So that's what happens if we don't remain humble and if we don't take risks of vulnerability. Then we entomb our hearts and they become hard. We become isolated. And who wants that for you? The enemy. And so that's his angle. That's what he's going to be working. That's the easy target. And so, friends, what is most important, if we're going to go down this pathway of trying to guard our hearts well, what's most essential is to invite Jesus into the guarding process. We have to call out to Jesus. This is the most important point of this whole thing. If you you remember nothing else, remember this. Why is it essential for us to invite Jesus into the guarding process? The first is because nobody loved like Jesus loved. He is the perfect picture of what it looked like to live life in this fallen world and love consistently and continually. He is the one who gives us that picture. That's the one we want to follow. The second reason we look to Jesus is because Jesus is the one who guarded his heart perfectly. 
The enemy never got an arrow in. He was never an easy target for the enemy, not even once. And so we have to invite Jesus into the guarding process for our own lives. And I shared with you some negative examples about broken perspectives we use to guard our hearts. Let me share some positive ones as we invite Jesus in. If you guard your heart with gratitude, then the life that flows is praise. If you can wrap your heart in gratitude, then, then your whole life will be a, a praise song to God. If you guard your heart with God's truth, then the life that flows is wisdom. Look at this scripture. It's from Proverbs 4.20. It says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate, look at this, deep into your heart for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. That's what we're offered. Wrap your heart in the wisdom of God. If you guard your heart with God's spirit, then the life that flows is power. He does not want us weak. He wants us strong, courageous, living as more than conquerors, empowered by his spirit. That's what we guard our hearts with. And lastly, if you guard your heart with intimacy with Jesus, then the life that flows is joy. You will live in joy. And I'm talking about something deep, something real, something that's far more powerful than what your bank account might say or what your email list might include, that that the problems that you're facing, the joy we're talking about is deeper than that. And friends, there's this promise in Scripture that if we let him, Jesus gives us a new heart. For those of you who have already stepped into a relationship with him, he's already done that. And the challenge that we have is that we have to live more and more from our new heart. He has redeemed our heart. He's restored our heart. He has made us a new creation. We have a new heart in him. For those of you who are just walking that journey for the first time, you're just stepping into that, you need to understand that's what he's done for you. Okay? The promise of scripture is that God will take our broken heart, he will take our heart of stone away, and he will give us a new heart, a heart of flesh. So what I wanna do is I wanna read that passage. It's from Ezekiel. I'm gonna read this passage over us today, and then we're gonna go right into prayer. Okay, let's read this. God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And Jesus, we want to say thank you. Thank you for doing this already. This is the work that you accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Thank you that that you have come and you have offered us that new heart. And and for those of us, Lord, we've already said yes, so many of us, but we want to embrace that truth again today. We want to live more and more and more from our new heart. We want to invite you in to the guarding process We want to invite you in, even just by whispering your name when the temptation comes. Jesus, we want you to show us what it looks like to guard our hearts perfectly because we want to live lives of love and we want to guard our hearts as you guarded yours. Lord Jesus, for those who who are here, maybe they've never said yes to a relationship of love with you. Would you right now whisper your love to them? Would you right now, Holy Spirit, just give them the courage to say, yes, Jesus. Yes, I want that for my life. I want a new heart. 
where I am wounded, where I have this broken perspective, where I am going the direction that I do not wish to go, I invite you in. Show me how to guard my heart well, Lord Jesus. We pray all of these things, Lord, in your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.